Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach podcast, the final episode for season 2021, reviewing and recapping the season that was from the three podcasters this year. Before we crack in and introduce our guests, who you already know, I'm just plugging Dr. Supercoach, which is us, for 173,000 plays on our 36 podcasts this season, this year, so over the last 12 months. That is plus 13% from our prior 12 months and approximately 5,000 listens per episode. So I just want to say before I do any introductions, a huge thank you to the community and everyone listening for supporting us so well this year. We're very, very grateful to have you guys tuning in each week. So with that said, I have the first guest of the week is Pistol. Hi. (laughs) Hi. I'm not... I'm I'm feeling uh, excited. It's, I'm not used to having both of you on the one one podcast. There's a there's a lot Whoa, of energy. Spoilers. Uh, spoilers. You said you said the podcasters, like well, plural. Uh, unless it's you and me. Just me, you and me. Yeah, that's true. My bad. I've ruined this. Start again. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our other guest is obviously Cheezo. I actually should uh, sorry introduce you correctly. The famous Cheezo of 2021. <laughs> How are you? I'm well, thanks, mate. How are you? Do it. Can you can you just give us a little crack at why you're famous this year? I just had a good season. Finished in <laughs> okay. in in the top ten. Pretty uh, happy about it. That's it, all the uh, uh, excitement has kind of died down. We're back to normal life. I still have to mow the lawn and <laughs> clean the kitchen, and uh, a bit dirty about that. But life goes on. I mean, you've got some prize money. Maybe get some landscapers <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a good segue. 
<laughs> no, 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 no segues. No segues this podcast. Okay. Um, just, you believe... just opened the door for that. That was a wide open <laughs> shot. The goalie had pulled a hamstring and I was just, all I had to do was just tap it in. I Terry toe poked it. We might, get to, we might get to that later, so Pistol, just stay tuned. Um, I'm on it. Firstly, the prize league has wrapped up, Chizo. Do you want to give us the information on the final winner of 2021? Uh, so, once again, I th- was going into calculating the numbers and I thought, I'm a real shot here. And because <laughs> by alphabetical order, I calculate my numbers <laughs> earlier on, so I'm, I'm leading for quite a long time. Uh, third place <laughs> this month was Chizo. Oh. Uh, a full 120 points mm. behind... Wasman, who was in second. Wasman, wow. And first, uh, this month, for the month of August, is Lamarcus taking home the Dr. Supercoach Ooh. mug for the most points in Prize League. Wow. A couple of Patreons that were, were definitely around. I mean, sometimes the, the ones who don't chat much in Patreon are the, are the winners and we're sort of like, yeah, you know, we're so happy. But the guys who are active, it's always good to see them win prizes. So two active members and yourself, Chiso, not so active. Yeah, not. I'm busy studying. You see that that's what gets you a top ten finish, <laughs> mate. Uh, and obviously, uh, the lucky door prize uh, this month goes to Webdog. So hey! congrats, Webdog. Well done, wow. Webdog. I mean, he doesn't drink yeah, beer not- though. He's a uh, he's a very uh, fitness orientated bloke. Uh, he'll have to have his uh, protein shake in it. <laughs> I I think you'll refute some of that, um, but it could be used for soft drink as well. Maybe your water in a can. I don't know what he gets into. Water right. in a can. That is something I would I mean, love to see. I think but you not have it before. Somewhere. Like they have like yeah. the, the, the like the fizzy carbonated. Oh, I don't know. count that as water. Give me the fluoride. It's literally though. water. Yeah, I, I don't want the bubbles. Okay, no, that's right. fair enough. Just drink okay. lemonade, people. Okay. Um, all right, so we also had a couple of other competitions wrap up. The Doctor Supercoach Cup was won by mystery member Cheezo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it seems like you won a few of our prizes over the course of the season, Chizo, saving us a lot of money, um, well, I thought, until we had to ship out the prizes to you. I, um, gen- genuinely, genuinely saved us 400 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won eight, eight head-to-head matches in a row. It's pretty impressive of increasing difficulty. And do you want to tell everyone what the score was in the grand final? Yeah. So I'll do the bronze level uh, medal match. Jay Fuller getting over Dimasty. Uh, twenty six fourteen to twenty three forty eight. But in the cup final, the gold medal match between mm. Chizo and Kuva, it was twenty four ninety eight apiece. It was a draw, and based on <laughs> that our is rules, ridiculous. based on our rules from earlier on in the cup, that if uh, if the in the event of a draw, it's a high ranked team. Kuvalaki Hut is ranked sixty uh, third in the world, and he loses to a higher ranked. Uh, a team, so that uh, very I disappointing. Really can't like. believe that. Amazing. That's a fairy tale finish. <laughs> like that is, you honestly could not script that any better. That w- that will never happen again I, in the history of the Doctor Supercoach Cup. I, well, I think I, I, I've gone from you saying it's a fairy tale that I win to saying that it's never going to happen again because I'm not going to win again. So I'd, six one half dozen the other. You got my back or not? <laughs> uh, not. Kuva <laughs> knocked um, me out uh, in the <laughs> second round, so I was barracking for Kuva. Wow, you yeah. got knocked out in the second round, yeah. dude. That's, By Kuva. Yeah, I mean, at least I made it to the Czech Snow's second round. <laughs> Chizo well represented us this year. Yep. Um, and the winner of the LMS competition, the last man standing competition that we had run throughout the year, Jay Bizzle. So my burner account got up. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's my street name, Jay Bizzle. 
Um, <laughs> with that said, we're going to jump into the Cancer Council donations. Did we get anything for the last week of the season, Pistol? Very embarrassing if you didn't. Surely we did. No, we, we did. We did. Uh, Dimasty okay. has donated. He's saying he's donating for two donuts in round 22 and for one dumb thing. Uh, in the last round, he wanted to trade Stewart to Dawson, but missed Stewart's lockout. So he had to trade... Lloyd to Maynard to avoid three donuts. That was in round 22, not round 23. Um, Dawson and Lloyd the next week ended up combining for over 300, while instead he had Maynard and Briggs. So he lost Oof. a heck of a lot of points. So sorry to yeah. hear that, Dimacy. And, and a cup got a bronze medal yeah. match as well. Mm. So I didn't want to mention that, but yeah, we're up salt in the, salt in the rooms. And we've, uh, he, he knocked me out. So We've got a final donation from uh, MVP'd, now that I know how to say his team name after his uh, interview. Um, he donated for his round 22 donut plus interests. So big thanks to ninth place overall MVP. That brings us to a overall total of $16,353 raised for the Cancer Council since we started, which is an unbelievable effort. Raised just over $3,300 this year, which is just our record as well. It was $3,268, I believe, before that. So, pipped it. Um, so, again, thank you to everybody that donated along this season. Just goes to an absolutely incredible you know, cause. And thanks so much for just the continued support the whole season. Yeah, yeah. Un- unreal. And we should also um, um, give a shout out to um, the four top 10 coaches that helped us with um, le- letting us chew into their brain and how they went around uh, 2021 in, in, in getting to their top 10 positions. Obviously, Supercoach Mama taking home uh, first place, uh, but also Lovsky, Josh, and MVP. So uh, thanks for the four of mate, you for sitting down and talking to us. No, they don't deserve that second. Thank you. <laughs> They they got their whole their whole podcast their whole limelight, and I, and I heard actually a, a sources told me that the the eighth ranked coach not very happy that he didn't get his own podcast either. Uh, throwing a tantrum, I heard was uh, <laughs> uh, I heard was the response. <laughs> yeah, not good. Um, Pistol, did you uh, did you happen to catch any of the footy this weekend? Just gone. I'm not falling for it this weekend, JB. This is no, no, definitely a segue Pistol, did- to a manscaped dad, and I will not. Fall face first into it for the sixth week in a row. Come Thank on. you very much. <laughs> I see you've learnt. Finally. I've learnt. It's not happening. Uh, well, I watched some footy. It was good. What about you, JB? Yeah, no, I actually went to the footy. Um, oh, went this to wasn't the, even the, a both... segue. Jesus no, no, Christ. No, Pistol, I'm trying to talk, mate. Uh, I went to both games uh, Adelaide uh, this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, had, had an absolute ball. Speaking of balls, <laughs> JB, you can look after yours. With the oh, performance no. <laughs> package 4.0 from Manscaped, thankfully uh, sponsoring the Dr. Supercoach podcast for the last time in 2021. The performance package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived, and I can say it's a fantastic upgrade. Um, inside the package, you'll get the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag known as the Shed to hold all of your goodies. Um, the fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade technology to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The, the uh, Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor with new multifunction on and off switch. Much more uh, easy to work with there, JB. You can also turn the uh, clutch LED light on and off depending on if you're working in bright or dim light, uh, which is what you need to be optimised when you're looking after your Sharons. Um, 
Yeah, and if you thought that was good, you can take your grooming to even further uh, a higher level. Get that you know super uber premium inside of your 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 team. The Performance Package 4.0 <laughs> also has the Weed Whacker, um, which looks after the nose and ears. Which, uh, if you're at my age, JB, you do need some looking after. If I'm you do want to support Dr. Supercoach Podcast, you can use code DRSC for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped. Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring us once again. It's 20% off and free shipping using DRSC at manscaped.com. Cheezo, great read. Thank you for the segue. Um, another way you can sponsor us is by following our Patreon. So I've got a couple of statistics here I just want to rattle off for you. So we had... Six players involved in our Patreon rank inside the top 10 ranks for the entire season. 31 of the top 100, 97 of the top 400. Pistol Rep made me read that stat. That's a good one. 157 of the top 1,000. Leagues-wise, we had seven of the top 10 to finish the league, to finish the year. 11 of the top 15, including the top two 10 coach leagues, which don't actually count, guys. And the top four 18 <laughs> coach leagues so essentially a doctor super coach suite from what i can see and i i've been obliged by my lawyers to read out that two of the top of, of the three podcasters also finished within the top 100 for the season so a great year all round by us pistol i'm going to throw to you for a second patreon high ranking numbers what's the correlation here all right i've got a theory uh, but just before I get to that, I do want to mention that uh, the billing has been turned off for our patrons until next year, so you'll be able to um, not cancel your membership because you won't be charged, so just, uh, yeah, don't stress out until, yeah, Supercoach opens, and then obviously there'll be more content, and um, we'll, you know, pop that billing back on, but for now, a um, couple of months free, good way to end the year, good way to get involved, say hi to people, blah, 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 so uh, jump in there. Um yeah, so I was thinking about what the biggest difference was between this year and previous years. Like, how did we do it? How how is it possible that we had so many good ranks this year? Typically, all podcasts, all people are doing research. We have the same information as everybody else. So, what is the you know magic ingredient? Like, what happened? And I think the key really came down to the doctor's daily dose podcasts. We did thirty episodes in the pre-season in across 30 days where we spoke approximately 20 minutes on individual players we analyzed the premiums in such high detail a level of detail that was not found anywhere else at all and it became relatively clear to us i guess which premiums were worthwhile selections we obviously didn't get all of them right but i think we did a pretty good job we got a very high percentage calls correct by going in such great detail into the premiums that we're able to get you know i guess a short list of let's say viable premium options to start the year and i think what ended up happening was a lot of slack just mix and matched the viable list i mean we didn't have a physical list that we put out but like they mix and match what they heard from the podcasts and came up kind of with what they valued as you know the pros um and they were able to use that extra detailed information to pick the right premiums to start the season and then when the season went underway and all of our premiums got off to a flyer meant we didn't really need to worry about you know a crips that was failing most of us avoided neil that was struggling as well and we didn't need to do these sideways trades at the beginning of the season and those extra two trades were able to get us on 
other players much more quickly, um, which then caused a separation between perhaps our you know followers and potentially other people's followers who may have had some misses early on. So at this point, we believe Doctor's Daily Dose will run again in 2022. I don't want to lock us into anything, but um, <laughs> without having discussed it, I think it, it, the success of the product is, is going to run us into next year. Um, and equally to the players that we endorsed or just discussed and they came out with a glowing endorsement just based on their pros and cons and, and nothing really of our own advice, um, it also weeded out the guys who were popular in teams, in percentage of teams, but weren't actually good picks like tom phillips for example with cheese and i did about 13 seconds on that podcast and just said don't do it but um it, it's, i did I a great think, photoshop yeah. on that ddd too you did with luke you did, ryan you did. <laughs> maybe <yeah. laughs> worth worth the price of admission alone um all right well with that all that said we've done all our plugs we've we've thrown up all the statistics from the year that has gone past us now i'm gonna do this little three-way interview and discuss our teams and our entire Supercoach season in 2021, just what we learned, just what we are going to take into next year with a very sneaky sneak preview at next year and, and what we're early thinking um, on that one as well. So let's start off with the, the broadest of questions regarding our 2021 starting teams regarding things that we learnt. Firstly, I'm, I'm going to throw to you, Chizo. You've got yep. your, your starting team up, team up there. You obviously mm-hmm. had an immaculate year. You finished eighth. What are some things that you take away by looking at your team and remembering the, the thought process? And these can be positives or negatives. It's always easy to look with hindsight goggles on um, and when you have a good year, say that you're on the right track or you had a bad year, this is what you would have changed. Um, I think the thing that stands out for me is that I just kind of I let the information point me in the right direction. I think I remember in the preseason, particularly on Twitter, um, I, we were copying a bit of heat about you can't possibly go this deep in defense, or how you know how can you be how can you be a um, a podcast out there recommending people go deep in this line compared to the other. I think the thing for me is as I try what I tried very much to this year and we'll probably get to it in some of my trades, is that I just took a step back, tried to stay as unbiased as possible and just looked at the information as a whole and said, where is it directed me? I tried not to have any personal input to get something out of it that I was looking for. I just let the information kind of wash over me and pick the best options from that, Um, which led me to picking really heavy in defense. So I went... Um, short at D5. So I was really, really heavy. Yeah. Um, and that that's just literally, um, you know, one of the arguments we had in the preseason was um, defenders are going to score more than most of the other lines because of X, Y, and Z, and they take kickouts or whatever. Um, but I pretty much am just looking for job security in the start of the year. And so what I was finding is that it was just better job security for rookies elsewhere in the ground and that the mm. defense just didn't have it there, and so you can't you can't fight with the information that's available. And everything was just a, like just a big arrow pointing to you. Just have to go heavy in defense. And when I saw people going into you know first lockout and they had two mid prices at D four D five, and then a rookie on field at D six, I was looking at it going. Everything's telling me that that's a really bad choice. 
Yeah, which it kind of did turn out to be. Um, the the short defense, we were struggling, I think, all season with rookies coming in and out of those positions. Harry Sharp only lasted two games. Cosy was in and out of the team. Highmore was in and out of the team. Um, and beyond that, there just weren't enough rookies to sort of keep us afloat. And, you know, we could trade in and out guys like Lockie Jones and, and try to plug holes, but he didn't last long in the team via injury as well. Um, Pistol, having a look at your starting team there, is there what are your main takeaways um, from advice that you took or, or ignored in the preseason, what sort of got you the edge this year? Or, or maybe things that you did wrong in your starting team that you might not do next year? Well, my structure was the same as Cheezo's. I went five heavy in the back line as well. So Cheezo and I identified um, you know, the lack of rookies there and, and decided to just go all in on deep. I know every year you have to judge differently just because... You know, it's last year and the year before, like it was good to go uh, shallow in premiums in the back line. Doesn't mean that this year was going to be the same. So um, that was something I was really happy with structure wise. I think I made a couple of poor decisions in the final week after the final round of the preseason games. I think um, I was one of the late, latest people probably to remove Isaac coming from their side. And obviously that turned out really badly. And that was because. Mm. You know, he looked poor in the preseason game. And I think in hindsight, if there's a rookie that's on every kick out, like he was on all of them, it just makes sense because of the floor, the high floor to pick them. I, I, it's In hindsight, that's a really obvious pick. But I think the big big one was I did a, a late change of removing um, Oliver to Kelly. Um, I mean, okay. I, And look, you still finished top 100, by the way. No, I, it's upsetting uh, just because <laughs> every year I feel like I... I have this lesson that I should learn and I'm not doing it. And I want, I want to <laughs> learn from my lessons from the, from the previous season. And it's the players that play 22 games are so valuable. If they play yep. every round, obviously not the bye, but if they play every round and score well, it saves trades. It saves you headaches. It's just, it's worth its weight in absolute gold. And for some reason I got caught up in, you know, hype and, I love Josh Kelly, obviously, and I just saw him scoring, you know, 130 plus, whatever it might be, and was like, oh, well, Oliver will only just play every game and average like 114 or something, and that's, you know, what convinced me. But I hope next season I'm not saying the same thing at the end of 2022 and saying, why did I not pick players that I thought would just play 22 games? And I think going into next year, I'm going to be strongly looking at the players that are going to be playing 22 games, you know, consistent mm. premiums. I think consistent premiums is a big one as well. One's um, yeah. not not volatile premiums, so ones that maintain a high price. I mean, McRae only dropped to 630K the whole season, and if I can pick as many midfielders that are not super volatile. Just 20K below his, his starting point, by the way, which a lot of people early days identified as quote-unquote too expensive. Yeah. I think you you pay up for the big the big guns the ones that have a really high floor, and you mm-hmm. pick up players that have a low floor and you just buy them on the cheap. I mean those players. I, I'm talking right now. I mean we can get into it later, but I'm, I'm specifically talking about Bonton Pelly who's putting out 80s and 150s. 150s feel awesome. Yeah. That's 80s. I, I can pay for him 550k. That feels awesome. So and he did he did roller coaster a bit besides that purple patch um, yeah. where he stayed above six fifty for about seven weeks but um, he had a couple of times early once early in the season in the first um, month and a half he was quite low and then 
pretty much for the entire last um, two months he was affordable. So, yeah, it's definitely a lesson I'm going to take into next season. I think, and that's that's the biggest changes I would have made in my starting side. What what about you, JB? Yeah, so just quickly on mine, um, I, I did the same thing as you guys after the first week um, of football. I was uh, I was six at the back. Um, my D six was Jordan Clark. Um, so I also went really strong and um, I ended up ranking about 1800 by the way but I was in the first month and a half in the top 100 so I did still start well I'm not just talking nonsense Um, but my starting team yeah I'm I'm having a look at it now and not really identifying um, many chaos um, issues here so um, I had a couple of bias picks as I tend to do most years I think I don't really identify myself as someone who's biased, but um, I think I, I should probably look into that. <laughs> um, uh, I still justified my my decisions and um, found the data, not via confirmation biases and sourced the data that I wanted to see and, and ignored the rest, but um, Zach Butters was one of them who I think would have been a successful pick had he not gotten injured, but um, you could see as a bias pick. Dan Houston, I started, who I, I could say again, had he not have gotten injured, might have been a successful pick, but is now firmly on the never again list. Um, and Arazio, who started the season with a 94, by the way, which I tend to forget when I think back on him. Um, he did the things that I wanted in the first couple of weeks and then really tapered off into a stay-at-home um, small forward, which is just not good and, and should have been predictable. So um, a little bit of bias in a few of my selections. But besides that, I, I really did nail um, a lot of my team. And, and looking back on it, I'm... I'm pretty happy with what I did. I guess in hindsight with me, it was more so the guys that I didn't consider um, as much as it was the guys that I did end up looking into and, and picking. So someone like Jared Lyons, um, as you said, Pistol, the the underrated nature of consistency and playing every game of the season um, just went over my head a little bit with some of the players. And um, I can tell you right now, going into next year, it, it's it'll be a different outlook from me um, in terms of scoping out the entire field. I also had Walsh for 90% of the preseason and didn't end up starting him um, in favour of Patrick Dangerfield, which was a real last-minute thing for me as well. So um, a couple of things I definitely could have done better and and definitely should have considered when I didn't. But overall, I think the starting team was fairly strong thanks to, I think, the whole of Dr. Supercoach identifying early the, the defensive situation um, how good the value forwards were with Jack Siebel, Jarman Impey. Um, Warner was great earlier in the season as well. And um, I mean, Rowe was fieldable for one week at least. <laughs> um, and, and just, yeah, really rolling with that. I think I think we nailed that and, you know, that's good. So, Chizo, still going back to your starting team here, mm. things that you... Can, can you identify things that you specifically did incorrectly that you would do differently next year? I definitely got sucked into Jordan Clark. I think um, mm. the preseason. Dow, I think, is another one for me. Yeah, I, I think the preseason is really, really good um, in terms of solidifying things that we've already uncovered, and you know, already kind of have half an eye on doing. Mm. I think that you know we only really got one attempt to see each team. And when you only have one data point to go on, you have no real reference frame as to how spot on or how accurate that actually is. Um, yep. And, and, you know, so it, it, hindsight, 
is 2020. And so we, we really know that he was a bad selection and there were multiple other ones that were in the price range that we could have gone with that, you know, would have finished num- we would you know, I could have finished number one if I had not taken Clark, for example. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely class that as a mistake. I definitely got sucked into the preseason hype. There are a few. So, so what do you think? What do you think actually sucked you in to, to deep dive a little bit further? Uh, it was definitely the role. I mean, we'd had a few discussions in Slack with some um, uh, Geelong supporters that were saying, you know, this is the year, this is the breakout year, and I was very much like, oh, I don't even know if he's best twenty-two. Oh no, no, no he's definitely best twenty-two. Um, and then I saw that preseason game, and I can't remember what he had. He had 30 touches or something like that, and he was he's playing three quarters. 30. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he, he is known to have a really good tank, but, and always kind of likened him to a, you know, like an Isaac Smith kind of heavy running, good disposal wing kind of player. So that, that kind of bias, when matched with his role in the preseason, I was like, oh, actually, there's something to this. And it's not like I was really pl- toying with him so much. He would have been outside of the top five of the mid-priced or, you know, slightly elevated rookies that I was looking for in my back line. Um, but when I saw that preseason game, the eye test just kind of sucked me straight in. And from that point, I was hooked. And then it's really easy to um, confirmation bias yourself into it. And you're just like, oh, well, if he's not any good, he's got DPP and that's going to help me cover donuts or mm. something. And he absolutely yep. did on occasions – but in the occasions that I actually needed him to play and I had yeah, 250k, it, it wasn't his purpose. And then I was using the DPP to get him off field on most weeks rather than he was filling in for rookies that were having lower job security than we thought. So definitely a fail in terms of a starting selection for me. And the thing that I'm going to take away from it is um, I'm not just going to be jumping on anyone that wasn't actually on my radar because uh, I feel at this point I've got a pretty decent super coach fantasy radar that going into next year, I don't think there's going to be like a third or fourth or fifth year breakout that I'm like, oh, who's this guy? We should totally get on him. I yeah, feel like I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm around most of these players right now. So if someone comes out with a really good preseason game, I'm like, yep, okay, I was expecting that. This is what I was looking for. Or you know, maybe that's an aberration. I don't think he's actually got the chops to do it long term. And that's probably something I'm going to take away from it. It's just kind of not get sucked into it too as much because I was still only 50-50 on him, but I just went with his preseason form as opposed to what my instincts were telling me that he might not be the great selection. So, Pistol. Yes. An F- a, 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 a popular, well, I don't know how popular this is. I've, I've heard it spoken about in a lot of FPL corners, Fantasy Premier League, is that it's not... The, the upside for being the first person on a breakout or the first person on someone who is, you know, price low or a lower premium or something like that, being the first person on that before everyone flocks to that player isn't as beneficial as you think, whereas being the first person on someone who fails is actually a super harmful thing to your team. Is Can that be adopted in Supercoach? Should we be safer? Are these guys... Is there much purpose to being the first person in quotation marks on Jordan Clark or me being on Orazio Fantasia? Is is there premise to saying, you know what, let's actually see how the unproven players start. Let's start safer. And if they become a must-have, those guys aren't great examples because I don't think they were ever going to be premiums. But 
um, if they do become must-haves, then we can just adopt that and, and jump on the bandwagon with the, with the current owners. You're not going to like my answer to this one, JB, but I think it depends on the year. And I say that because typically if you were to start somebody and let's say they go really well, if that year there's like surprise rookies or surprise premiums where, you know, the end of round two, you're like, oh, I need to prioritize these other players and people miss out on your POD that's gone well, then you get a massive benefit because they just like physically can't jump on. But if you've nailed everything and it's a boring, straightforward year and people have a luxury trade to make at the end of round three, well, then there was no point in starting him because everyone's just going to jump on, you know, at the end of round two anyway. Something like a Tex where most people are able to jump in. I think it might be a little bit different during the season because prices rise immediately. So in round eight... I traded in Hall at 4.15, which was probably the first, one of the first people to jump on Hall. It was the week before everyone else got him. Um, And I don't think I gained much from him. I gained a 100-plus score, and everyone bought him for like 4.19 the next week. And then we all had Hall. And like he was fantastic, and it was awesome. But like, did I really gain anything by going a week early? Probably not. And you know what? I reckon it hurt me. Because a lot of people double downgraded that week and they got RCD. And then in round nine, I had to choose between two of three of Burns, Poulter, and RCD. But people had already gotten RCD. And it was just a. It was. It, I, don't, I don't feel like my team necessarily gains by going early on him. So I think, yeah, it depends at what. It depends on the season and at which place in the season. But I definitely think as, as much as lessons learned, looking at the the teams that all finished at the top, there's not a POD in sight. <laughs> like everyone picked stock standard teams and the teams that rose to the top were the teams that traded really well throughout the season. It, it, what, it didn't come down to like one specific player. It didn't come down to anyone starting techs or something like, you know, ridiculous or crazy. So I think it just goes to show, you know, if you nail your, your premiums and then you just trade well and get the right timing of your trades throughout the season you know, that's that's going to win you the game. That's, yeah, that's the entire premise that we should be adopting is that mm. we don't, we would rather play safe and nail all our picks than be risky and get a two-week head start on people um, for the sake of potentially falling way behind the back pack and just not being able to make up ground. So um, Zach Butters is another example that comes to my mind is when I think about having started him this year, I did get a, a little bit of a bandwagon on him, but he was for the most part a point of difference. Um, through four ra- rounds, he'd already had a score of 150 and, and should have had another. Um, and even without the injury, he was still really affordable. I, I remember a lot of people talking about having the money to upgrade to Zach Butters. He was about 500K. He was going to be about 515K. Um, and I just would have, I would have gotten his points um, about 100 average after four weeks, he would have been a successful starting pick. But if he averaged 70 for me, I, I just I don't know if I would have been able to get off of him. Um, and, and I would have just been a sinking ship, whereas everyone else who didn't start him is obviously floating to the top. So even with a successful point of difference pick that I made, I still don't think after a month I was better off than if I had have just played safe and and traded him in if he did look good sort of thing. Does that make sense? It's a bit upsetting to hear. I think people are trying to, you know, you want to pick that exciting pick and you want to have a bit of fun and a bit of flair. But like in terms of our aim, which is to win Supercoach, if that's your aim, then 
you, you can just play more, you know, we'll call it the template and maybe it's a bit boring for you personally, but everyone has different goals. Some people want to win their league. Some people just want to have fun. And if you want to have fun, you know, trade in whoever, whoever you want, pick your peers, pick your favorite players. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, but for our specific purpose of trying to win super coach, then yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, the, the, the one thing okay. that I would kind of jump in just to like, I guess, um, pile, not kind of pile on your comment, but um, kind of solidify yeah. it from a different way, is that going into the season, we're looking for, quote-unquote, reliability of outcome. If you're taking, uh, I talk about it as your risk profile, if you're taking in five, six, seven of these guys that could swing massively in every direction, as opposed to um, you know someone like a McRae that just hits 120 every week... Um, you're less likely to have a reliable outcome. It's really unlikely that all seven of those are going to hit the positive swing right from yeah, the word it go. It becomes volatile. And so I get, um, even in the, in the post-season when we've been posting some comments and stuff and, and some of the podcast, um, I saw a comment sent to M that was just like, oh, what did you do? You know, generally asking, what did you do in the pre-season? Um, how did you do it? And then, you know, just picked the, the right players, the, the, the no-brainers. And then the comment was like, oh, you're just a sheep following the crowd. And I'm like, she won. She literally won. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't understand that comment that's like, oh, you've just got a template. Oh, you're sheep just following the crowd. You know, the reliability well, it's of It's a winning outcome, formula. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're not looking to win it in week one. It's like what I always say. You can't win it in week one, but you can definitely lose it. And you can put yourself in a situation you can't dig yourself out of. So I think one of the things that I took away, uh, one of your comments before Pistol was the 22 games per year is so massive. We talk about it every year, but until you actually commit to doing it, and I look at my starting side and I'm like, there is not a single injury risk player here in terms of premiums. The one that jumps out at me, um, uh, Zebul and Impy, but they're 200k or 250k. Yeah. They're, they're they're not big. Dun- risks. Dunkley could be getting into that territory, but he we'll, could be. That's, he a, could that's be. another thing. He could be, but <laughs> at, you know, at the time, um, yeah, absolutely. We're looking for reliability of outcome, which is let's take the really low risk, good, safe selections. A few like mostly guns and rookies, with the occasional, um, you know, really cheap. Um, mid-pricer on the low end of mid-pricer and just let that cash generate to start the year because it's going to be a low variability team. And yeah. I, I just hate this comment, oh, you're just a sheep or you're just you know following the crowd. And unless the crowd, which let's be honest, is mostly people that take this really too seriously and just focus all about our rank every year for three months in the preseason... Usually, the crowd is decently on the right track. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, can I just say, M did start Zach Butters. That's a that's a good selection. <laughs> and it's it's it's, it's, um, a, it's all about your, the rest of your side. Having Zach Butters yeah, in your twenty two yeah. doesn't do anything if the rest your other twenty one players are just exactly. terrible. Exactly, and yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think it was. I didn't at the time think it was a low percentage pick. I still. Don't think it was, and I'm happy to have taken that risk. And as you said, Pistol, it is better to be boring and better to be template and nail your picks. And as Chizo said, it, it lowers the volatility of your entire squad. You're going to have more successful weeks than unsuccessful because 
other teams are too risky and they're, they're going through the ups and downs of the roller coasters of all the, the risky guys. But having a person in there that you do trust, although they, they are, do seem risky to the you know the my the majority of people um as long as you can still back up that research i don't think it's detrimental to to start someone that you, you have faith in like this year was for zach butters but um at the end of the day it's it's just risk it's all risk and risk profile and and yeah cheese you'll preach preach that to the cows come home yeah um, jb i think just to reinforce i'm talking specifically about premium choices because i think yeah. like if you want to pick like a 200 oh yeah absolutely yep, pod yeah. you know go for it, it, it yeah it's such like, a like Arazio. yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> low risk um okay i agree so if we talk more about trades over the course of the season um i assume you two had some perlers and i had the opposite considering i started well and got bad and you guys started at fine and got really good um what if you if you sort of reassess your trades and maybe consider your um your frame of mind at the time and and how you processed these into maybe i should do this and then the the process that got you all the way into yep this is a good trade i'm going to do it um what do you what jumps out of the page pistol when you first look at your trades for the the 2021 and things that you can do better and things that you've done immaculately that maybe you improved on from last year all right long answer coming up but uh looking at my trades i think my first six weeks and the first trade of my round seven, I, I nailed everything. I think that obviously helped um, improving my rank quite quickly because I started at 33K and you know found myself in the top 1K by round five. Um, in round two, I traded out Dangerfield for Walsh, which was basically a reversal of what I had in the preseason. Um, I really yeah. wanted Walsh and he looked really good and I was like regretting not starting him. So it was just a, a swift reversal of that one. In round three, I copped a lot of heat on trading out Josh Kelly um, for Clayton Oliver. And, I mean, that was going into a a DeBoer tag, so probably not ideal timing. Um, However, I just wanted to ensure that I had the flexibility of trades in the coming week in case I copped injuries. Um, It didn't happen, but I'm still happy with making that transfer um, at that time because, I mean, we saw how Kelly basically went. We saw how Oliver went, and that's kind of what we predicted. You know, at the time, my rationale was... I don't think Kelly's going to be playing 22 games anymore. He's been playing off the half forward and he looks inj- like half injured. Uh, Oliver's going to play every game. I'm just going to cut the cord now and you know hope for the best. Um, so that one was quite good. And I made another sideways trade, a lot of them, early, but it seemed to set up my team for success. I just cut all the dead weight. I cut Caleb Daniel in round five. And I traded him straight to Tom Mitchell. Um, I did have Bontempelli as an option there, so it could have gone differently, but Better, Mitchell... Yeah obviously came home really strong. I did pay 578k, so I didn't even get a massive discount given he dropped to low 500s. But just getting another player that would play every round with solid scores felt like another good decision. I'm feeling a real theme here for both of you, actually. (laughs) In in round seven, when when Dunkley went out, I think was a defining trade for most of the top 100. Um, A lot of people myself included, went straight to Zorko at his lowest price, I think it was, at 485k. Um, and that was from our discussions about how many clangers he was having and free kicks he was giving away and he was passing on the eye test and everything. So it was a straightforward one there. And 
Unfortunately, my other trade, it was a toss-up. I was having the conversation with you. Should I get Houston JB or should I get Callum Mills? Um, I, went I, I assume I recommended Callum Mills. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was 20K difference in price. Honestly, what swayed me at that time was the buys. I was looking at my buy structure. I thought, I can't take someone with around 14 buy and went with Houston and we know how that panned out and it was awful, but... You know, I guess Houston played every game, so it kind of worked out. And Mills didn't. No, it's it was just a bad, bad decision. And um, fortunately, the next round was the Hall pick, which which did work out very well. So, so um, if you were to if you were to just pause and and just the thing uh, like you've you've obviously made great trades here, and, and listening and looking at my own trades is making me a little bit depressed because I obviously followed my own heart and not your advice, which is spectacularly combusted in my face but if you can just assess like what are you doing right with it like why are you making these good moves like where are they coming from because i played the very same game as you and looking at my trades i for some reason had it in my head this year that i needed the best guys like asap so I got Jack Steele in at 650k. I got Dustin Martin in at 520k. Um, these guys, I mean, Jack Steele came down in price and then obviously finished the season great. I'm not saying he's a failed pick. Um, Tom Mitchell at 610k. I barely made a dollar on my trades. And then before I knew it, I was I was having to trade in Stephen May because I didn't have money. Aaron Hall because I didn't have money. Um, all these guys, like Isaac Heaney, t- to try and make some money. I had to go budget so fast because I was just trading in the guys who I thought were essential, like Jack Steele. And for some reason, in my mind, I every single time I traded someone in, it was they've just scored really well, and I can't see them scoring poorly again. And that's not really ever the case. They people just go up and down in price unless you're Jack McRae, who I think will be in our teams for the rest of the his career but what what got you to get these guys because it seems like you're ignoring the informed player for the the guy who's just good value is that as simple as it is as it is yeah a lot of the time i like picking walsh for example after round like he wasn't the highest scoring round one um but you know he was 543k um i i went for players that i thought were not overpriced like I, I purposely avoided Steele at 650 because I thought he would come down. I did pick up Steele for 560k in rounds 11. Um, I, a lot of my first half of the season trades were not getting paying full price for people. I, I actually looking through my whole thing only once twice, which includes Grundy because I traded out Grundy. Did I pay over 600k for a player? And the other was Lions during the buy. So I, I always went value. For pretty much the entire season, but a lot of the time, to be honest, as long as there was a case where you could use stats and the eye test and merge them, and basically looking at Zorko and finding the reasons why he wasn't scoring well, and looking, I'm looking at him I'm like this guy's going to explode. It's going to be really good. Being able to jump on those players the same way that I saw Hall playing off the half back, I'm like. He's going to score really well. Like I'm watching him play off the halfback. It's Bruce Free. He's going to get a lot of the ball. Because I watched so much football, it allowed me to ignore the price next to everyone's name and just think, which of the players do I think from this point onwards, forget what they've done, but from this point onwards, based on what role and how they're currently looking, do I think that they will be the highest scorer for me 
for the rest of the season. So that includes Tom Mitchell. I ignored his first... I think he was not very good for the first four weeks. Um, it was good round one. I can tell you that because that's when I got him. <laughs> he, yeah, so I ignored him even though he wasn't... Yeah, he, I, I'm sorry. I picked him up even though he wasn't burning the house down. I, I just was like, he's going to play 22 games. He's building. He was starting to look better in the eye. I thought he didn't look super good in rounds two and three. And then round four, I was like, okay, there's a bit of an uptick here. And then I, I picked on him. I didn't even, I don't think for most of the time, I even looked at the prices of players. I just thought these are the players that are going to do really well on the way home. Um, and okay, I kind okay. of kept, Chizo, kept that the whole way through. Help, help me out, Chizo. You don't watch as much football as Pistol. And I mean, I watch all nine games. Um, and you finished eighth. How did you process your trades in this matter? Because... Like I said, I got sucked into the guys who were overpriced. And like to me, in my mind, I got Jack Steele at 653K. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I thought this guy's going to be 700K for the next two months and no one's going to be able to get him in. I want that guy. How did you resist guys like that and, and get the budget guys with the, with the faith that they would eventually drop or did you just say... Well, even if they don't drop, I'm not getting sucked into that. What was your thought process without watching every single game of football and seeing it for yourself? Uh, it, it's going to be along the same lines. Like I, I definitely agree with everything that Pistol's saying, and that I, uh, when I tell you some of these trades, are going to blow your mind. Um, but but basically, the, <laughs> the, the the first round I was rank 31, 32,000 after round one. And then in round two, I had a round rank of 58 and I was into the top 1,500. After round three, I was in the top 1,000 and I didn't go outside that for the rest of the year. So I was supremely confident that um, I had a really good starting structure and that I didn't need to rush anything. I didn't need to be the guys that were sides, uh, you know, sidewaysing a few guys to just kind of fix up the errors that they started the season with. Um, <laughs> and... Um, it just kind of gave me a little bit of calm in terms of 
not wanting to rush my trade. So uh, in previous years, I've burnt three, four, five, six trades heading into upgrade season. Whereas this year, uh, by upgrade, my first upgrade, I had um, in round two, Dangerfield to Titch for injury. Round four, I went Cozzy to Chapman, which in hindsight wasn't amazing. Wasn't, a, wasn't an amazing I trade. I did the same move. Um, and in round five, I went Tanner Bruin to Alec Waterman. And so round six, I did um, Chad Warner to Finlay McRae. And I traded out Jordan Clark for my first upgrade, which was in defense. And this is going to blow your mind, JB. Who do you reckon was my first upgrade in the team that came in the top 10 this year? Who, who do you reckon my first upgrade was in defense for Jordan Clark? I mean, I don't know who you started, but my mind goes immediately to Dan Houston, of course. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe Jaden Short. My first upgrade was Sam Doherty. Wait. I remember that now, now, uh, that you, now that you mention it. And it stands out like a sore thumb looking at it. And in round seven, I went golden to steel side bottom, which, again, <laughs> you're, th- you're, probably, well. you're probably thinking, what is this <laughs> oh, guy? God. He finished eighth? Um, but what I was doing is in terms of my trades, I was doing for two things. So if you remember round six, round seven, we were actually having a lot of um, like a big dip in confidence when it came to our rookies. Um, And I I forget the specifics, but the reason that I brought in Sam Doherty is because I needed to bring in a defender that week um, and it needed to be from a particular buy. And so... I'm thinking of all the teams that I could be bringing in from that particular buy um, and who had the later game so I could protect from, you know, I could find find out whether we were going to have a donut or not uh, if they were going to be in the final Sunday squads and things like that. And as an upgrade, he's just turned out to be offering some decent value at that particular point in time. And so it, it became about me not trying to force the issue and try and chase someone and try and get someone in. It became, what does my team need right now? Who is presenting good value? Um, And how can I protect myself from downside risk, which is if I trade the player I want in early, what could go wrong in the other games this weekend that I can't protect myself from? And so there were a couple occasions where I waited longer than I needed to um, you know, in, in hindsight, I could have picked someone else and I would have been fine because no one was a laid out. Um, but there were instances... I, I remember, I think I was on the phone to you, Pistol, and we were, like, looking at this from every angle and it was just like one of these things where we went, the numbers are saying pick Doherty. That's, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, no, it's the same as still side bottom. There was yeah. no... At your price range, at your point, you were like, there's no other option that makes yeah. sense for me right now except for the side bottom. And I was like... This is rough because yeah. it, it wasn't like we were super sold on side bottom, but that's what your team needed and you filled a hole. But the funny part about it is those positions that you got, a defender and a forward, like it ends up being more of a pivot point instead mm. that you could use throughout the buys to kind of catapult yourself through the buys even further because you're able, I guess, to, to jump off them. Um, and getting some really sharp selections. So it, they end up just being like temporary placeholders in your side yeah. almost. Yeah, I, I, exactly right. So um, in hindsight, you brought in Hall in round seven. I remember you trying to sell me on him. 
And he was coming back from, uh, I forget what injury he had. I think maybe it was a concussion. He had a 30. And I was just like, I was just very steadfast. I'm, I'm a low risk. I'm just taking the tried and true premiums that have gone 100 before and will go 100 again. <laughs> and in hindsight, if I get Hall in round seven instead of round 10, he was my third upgrade. I'd only done three upgrades by round 10. Um, if I'd got him instead of uh, side bottom in round seven, that's a whole chunk of points over the course of the year that I would have been far better off. So um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a failed pick. It's what the team, my team needed at that point, which was to get a forward off field and to bring in someone that was decently reliable and also fitted into my buy structure. Um, but when you're looking at these, looking at the, the overall impression I'm getting from my trades is that I only had one guy that I brought in over 600k um, which was Jared Lyons in round 14 for 613. I think that was similar with you, Pistol. Yep, um, and I picked, I kind of picked the eyes out of everyone that was displaying me some value. I'm looking at Hall. I picked him up at 454. Steele at 563. Walsh at 460. Um, uh, let's say 465, 60. Uh, Kelly at 560. Um, I, and, and another one, um, in round 14, I picked... Kyle Langford for 475 again just because based on the role he was playing the numbers were dictating that I you know in round 14 I needed to plug another forward gap and he just happened to be the one that fitted the buy structure because um, Dusty had been moved so I couldn't get Dusty who I had intended on getting and he was just the next option and instead of sitting on my hands and saying I don't like him I don't want him I'm going to wait an extra week I accepted that there was an opportunity cost by playing a, another rookie on field when I could have another premium score and just sucked it up. I, it's not like I wanted him. It's just what the numbers dictated. Yeah, so the way you guys both explain it there, I think he's um, sort of... I've got a notepad here. I'm actually taking notes as you speak. <laughs> um, the The picks and the trades should more so feel right to your team and your structure and mostly your price point mm. and sometimes instead of getting jack steel for 650k there is another person like at that at that point yep. that i got jack steel i still needed walsh in my team i got him two weeks after that for 580k yeah so there there are just there are more logical options that sort of present themselves to you and you just have to be willing to look at those huge guns that are scoring well, looking at your rank and saying, I'm actually doing pretty well here. I don't need this guy at this price. I need the guy who's going to be reliable and I'm going to look back at in 10 weeks time and say, I can't believe I got this guy at this price. Yeah. Um, I don't think it often works out where you get someone in the first couple of months in the season or month and a half at a huge price and you look back at it and say, wow, that was their lowest price. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Jack still 653K. Did I genuinely think that was going to be his low mark for the season? Mm. Like I can't have. So yeah. I think there are, there are lessons to be learned for a lot of coaches that are a little bit too hasty and, and wanting to get to round 21 before round five and get all the good guys and, you know, have, have these premiums that no one else has and, you know, sort of just appease that FOMO that you might be having watching these guys score big every week and just wait out the, the value options and wait for these guys that you've already assessed and said, 
They're a good trading option, but not this week, and wait them out to get to an appropriate price and say, all right, now that person who I, you know, I, I saw him at the start of the season, thought he was going to be a good player, thought I was going to trade him in then, I've waited, now he's a, you know available to me again at a cheaper price, now I pull the trigger. Um, timing, I think, can't be underrated in this game. Um, you guys both got Hall early. I believe you both got Zorko early. Um, and these are the types of players that separated you two mm. from... Me <laughs> again. They were and obvious selections, though. Like they, 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 they weren't unique. Where you needed some no, specific exactly. insight, Correct. you just, yeah. you just followed what, what, what's screaming at us right now. What is the player that if you take, you peel that one layer back and go, wow, he's averaging six free kicks against a game. Wow, that's not going to go for the rest of the year. He's actually undervalued right now. Let's get on as soon as we can. Exactly, and I think, uh, I think I, some people picked Dusty. Um, that round, I did. Yeah, in, in that round at a much higher price because, as what you round? As, as you said, well, like around round six, seven. Um, yeah, I got him at six, and he got concussed that week. Yeah, it's, it's because you see the name Dusty. I mean, the price is still good above five hundred, but at that point, yeah. though, if you remember, he'd had a, the big game against Carlton. He had a few eighties in a row, and then a ninety, and these were like. 30 disposal games yes. and a goal mm. and it was like or 30 disposals and two behinds and you're like if he kicks goals there and use the ball a little bit better like he's punishing me so as much as I think the steel selection for me was was shocking especially with Walsh available and, and other selections in the season were bad Dustin Martin I think was, was more luck based and that's going to happen as well the game does have a, a large luck element to it and you know that could have been Dane Zorko that week um, but I had the money for Dustin Martin, and, and that's who that's who yeah. it became. And it turned out to be the wrong decision. But there is a world where Zorko gets suspended for a month, and Dusty averages just ninety five for the rest of the yeah. season, and, and it's fine. But um, I it's mean, just that's that's the way it goes. For you, I think you need to be able to identify that. Hey, if Zorko and Dusty are going to average roughly the same for the rest of the season, and Zorko's cheaper, like that's kind of. I think we get. We look at the price and think higher is better. I think that's a natural Yeah, instinct. no, that is true. So 100%. I think it's like when you see Zorko and Dusty, and Dusty's a better player in real life, and Dusty's a better, a higher price, I'm thinking, well, Dusty's better for Supercoach, but it's, it just isn't always like that. Mm. I, I, I guess yeah. th- there's one, one last kind of comment. I don't know if we've got any questions on the buyers, JB, specifically. No, go okay. for it. Well, um, this is another comment that I get all the time and people are going to have very strong opinions about it. But one of the things that um, I've taken away from Supercoach data, uh, Nico, this year was when he was putting up, you know, what the, the top so many rankings would have been um, from X week onwards. And I think I was ranked second overall from the beginning of the buys to the end of the year. And I, I guess that I, I get that that's not, technically a representative sample of everyone that had you know that they to be ranked like that they must have had a good bias but what it tells me uh in some way my meticulous planning that i do for the buyers in the preseason, making my starting side and then in regards to my trades in the middle of the year there is a positive influence that comes from that there are people that are just going to get lucky but by Leaving it up to luck, you also leave yourself another downside risk. So um, in terms of the buyers this year, 
I was set up so perfectly that even when the fixtures changed, I had no risk, um, uh, um, uh, you know, apart from rookies getting dropped, etc., out of um, the, the 18 remaining, that I was going to have a significant donut. And so when we got those extra two trades, I was already set up. And so what that allowed me to do was sideways one of these premiums that um, ordinarily would have been playing but now has is, now is changed. So in round 14, I actually, when everyone was really struggling, I actually traded uh, Jaden Short out to get an extra premium in. It allowed me to bring in uh, Langford and Lyons. Um, and then the two weeks later, Doherty got injured and I've got an extra trade sitting there that, you know, is just extra up my sleeve. I'm thinking to myself... Now, who were the best options? And it just turned out that of the options that I had that week, I think I was picking between um, uh, your boy, JB, Christian Salim, um, and <laughs> da, uh, Dan Houston, and Jaden Short. And I just, Jaden Short was the best option um, in my eyes. And so I had no qualms with bringing him in only a fortnight after I'd gotten rid of him. And I wouldn't have been able to do that and be in that situation if I hadn't planned for the buys. N- not... Uh, Look, I, I'm very much a perfectionist, so I definitely spent way more time than the average person would have, even if they were planning on them. But I wouldn't have been in that situation. You know, I forget what the saying is: prior planning, whatever. It's when um, success is like when um, prior planning meets opportunity, or something. Life like is that. like a box of chocolates. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if I hadn't have done the legwork to be in that position, I would have been using those trades to cover donuts rather than getting a 19th and a 20th score into that round um, and, and, you know, just helping propel myself towards. And in round 14, I was uh, I had a, a round rank of 580. So, and that that's the one where I jumped from 200th to 70th, you know. So, um, I... I, I, I I appreciate those that don't worry too much about the buyers but use it to inform their trades during the year. But if you get to round, you know, I only did three upgrades in round 10, how much influence are those buyers going to have on those three upgrades that you can do in the first two and a half months of football if you're so heavily in one side? You might miss out on Zorko presenting really good value because you've already got so many of his buyers. You know what I mean? So um, I just think it's important to say that, you know, I don't think planning is ever going to result in consistently negative results if, you, if you're really putting time yeah, into it. Yeah, no, no, I get what you mean. It's going to, yeah, the more time you put in and the more um, investment you make into the game and to, to preparing, I think if it goes wrong for you this year, for example, if you planned meticulously and you traded in Dustin Martin before a concussion and you did all these other things that like you, you planned well for the buyers, but the buyers moving actually did impact you negatively or mm. um, whatever happened, happened uh, and you got unlucky. It's That's not going to be the formula for you forever or even that's not even likely to be the formula for you again. Um, I think planning it more times than not obviously luck is just a huge factor in this game. We can't help that. Yeah. Um, is going to result in good results throughout the season. And um, as you've just said, I, I never used to plan for the buyers. And ever since I have, um, like I, I struggle to finish outside the top 2000, even in this year where I thought um, I traded awfully and, and got saved by good captaincy scores and pretty much a good starting team. I still didn't fall outside the top 2000 because I, I did so much planning 
Um, and it was it sort of foolproofs you a little bit, doesn't it? Mm. Um, it just makes your safety net so much higher. Um, if, if, I just you want quickly... if you don't mind, though, quickly, just as a different buy experience, because I, I had almost the opposite experience of Chizo. Yeah. Um, I planned, but everything went wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. My, my round, I, I panicked. Mike, I got into the buys, and a lot of my rookies weren't named. I thought I was going to have like 21 every week and I turn up the first week and I'm looking at 17 and then I'm looking at my next week and I'm like, uh-oh, I think I'm going to have you know, 17, 19, 16 or 15 or something. And I'm, it led to, instead of looking at my... So I know what I did. I had a plan and I, I, I saw what Chizo did and that's the thing that impressed me with Chizo's plan was it was so well laid out and structured that when something happens, he was easily able to look at his plan and adapt I threw my plan out the window as soon as I hit the first hurdle. <laughs> I just deleted it and then didn't come you back are a to bit it. Of a panicker. My plan, my trades in round thirteen spiraled. My I guess like I, I still did well, but it, my trades are I traded in Josh Kelly, Jai Newcomb, and Zach Smith. Um, I think I made four <laughs> good trades out of my last twelve. I'm looking at um, literally Smith. four out of my last twelve. I would say were positively impacted my team which means i made eight bad trades of my last 12 um and that all stemmed from the buy panic and me being oh i'm gonna miss you know what i should have probably done in hindsight was perhaps i should have just copped a donut yeah. <laughs> and not traded in one of those players zach smith <laughs> i mean <laughs> maybe maybe not I, I honestly zach smith wasn't my worst trade there Come because on, pistol. I, I've, I've admitted arazio and houston it's time to it's time to let zach smith go I think. <laughs> no as in i made i made other worse trades that's he brought in rockcliffe that, again he didn't tell no, us about I it i mean i brought in josh kelly <laughs> and yeah, he, he was good yeah he, he was good the th- yeah i mean he was okay I, I don't think it was like a fantastic trade but i the panic the panic that set in just meant that I threw out at the first sign of struggle. I threw out my plan. I think what I would learn, and it's funny because Cheezo was doing it, and I just didn't have, I just didn't copy him. Was I should have been like, no, here's my plan. Why didn't I stick to what I was going to do and just make like subtle amendments mm. um, to try and can navigate I, through? It? Yeah, sure. Um, that kind of also still backs us up because you planned your starting team and your trades in the first half of the season with the buys in mind and your safety net, as we saw with your ranking in the 90s, was still very good. And even when things did go wrong and your actual buy plan got thrown out the window, the planning that you put into the season already to that point yeah, was carried me. <laughs> still enough of a saving grace to take you through to, to your really good rank. And that's, that's I mean, that's kind of what we're... Mm. Like, the, the whole gist of it is... If you put that work in, then the worst case scenario isn't as bad, even if everything does go wrong, as someone who's not planning and then things go wrong. Um, because they're, they're, you know, I, I saw so many people highly ranked this year um, on Twitter and, and in our Patreon as well who just didn't plan and ended up with around with 12 players on their field mm. and ranked. 5,000 for the year and like it's still a great year and I'm not trying to put anyone down here but um, it just goes to show that the, the planning that you put in even if things do go wrong just gives you such a good safety net um, I do want to pivot I want to talk about one more thing before we get into a little bit of um, 2022 discussion I think we talk about this every year at the end of the year and it's captaincy choices now 
Nico punched the data, Supercoach data, punched the data for us. I think I had the highest captaincy points for the year and I think that went a long way to be holding yep. on to a half decent rank. Mm-hmm. Um, Pistol, you struggle every year. What's going on, mate? <laughs> I, How are you not taking your, your cue as someone who's not good at picking captains and, and maybe just pivoting to another bit of a bit of tactics? No, I was terrible in 2019. In 2020, yep. I averaged over 140 points per captain. Um, yep. So I was incredibly good. successful. And then this year, again, it just fell through the floor. And I think what it was for me was I, I didn't adapt. Like, I, I, I didn't take it as this is season 2021. There's all this new information. There's all this new data. Instead, I just thought, hey, Gorn and Grundy are good. And I captained them so many times throughout like the first 10 rounds. And I didn't jump on midfielders that were scoring well. And I, I, I was so slow to pick up on it compared to other people. So I kept making the same mistakes and not just that then in the back half of the year when we saw some players I guess there was some players that had a bit more higher volatility and there were some sub 100 scores I didn't adapt either and I kept risking it when players were going like 120 ish instead of taking the safety I would still roll the dice and I had players like steel and I I never shaking his head right now I never captain steel for the entire season, I don't think. So it was the, the most informed player in the last thirteen weeks of the year no, did I just not get the captaincy armband from you. I, I actually <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still put it on Grundy after I brought him back in. <laughs> like I was so slow. And I I captained McRae like most of the rounds um from like I think round seventeen onwards. But that's incredibly slow to pick up on <laughs> to pick okay, up can on captain midfielders. <laughs> I think it's important as as the as the person who historically makes the best vice captain and captaincy decisions, I'm I'm speaking to both of you and and to everyone listening to the podcast. Obviously, um, someone like Jackson McRae should be in every combination of your vice captaincy and captaincy. If you notice that someone is scoring consistently one ten plus and never going below a hundred, they should be somewhere in your plans. Most weeks, unless something is identified as like Jack Steele and McRae, I think were my vice captaincy captaincy combination for five out of the last six weeks. And every single week, I banked a one thirty plus with those two guys. When you when you recognise things like that, players that are in purple patches, um, players who have soft matchups, and players who just score well regardless of who they're playing. I think it gets to a time, especially if you've failed a couple of captaincies, to just take a McRae, and everyone has that negative stigma. It's like, oh, he's going to—he might score between 100 and 115, and it's like, well, sometimes that's actually okay, depending on how the round's going, and and sometimes it's it's also fine because you can see Jack still has you know Collingwood later in the week, so you know you can roll the dice oh, on a 110. Had to pick Collingwood. They were a soft kill for 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 midfields this year. Um, I don't. I don't know. I. I just. I think I play a safer captaincy game than you, or um, maybe you're just a little slower on the uptake. Which, considering all your fantasy ability, it's probably your only flaw. So I don't want to sound like I'm insulting you here, but no, I, um, I did badly in it. I can admit it. <laughs> it just, I, I, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm safer or if you're. Yeah, just slower to jump on the guys who are like hot in form. But I think it's definitely something to look at for next year. Now, Chizo, 
I saved you for last year. Mm. I know you've got a lot to say on the captaincy mm. conundrums. Um, so what was your sort of, I guess, motto for this year and your, your captaincies? Um, my kind of motto is very along the same lines of pistol. I've got to say, like a, a lot of these things, I you know, that's bad. Uh, I'm I'm listening. <laughs> you did the best, JB. I, okay. I, I'm listening to uh, like all opinions, and my motto this year was let's just play the no brainers, the safe options, and take low risks. Um, and so, if we're looking at the data, I hit my VC sixty one percent of the time. And I had my captain's score being uh, the highest um, score on my team, 83% of the time. I think that's what that means. Um, Nico, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I only had two clangers for the year, clangers being defined where I've turned down a VC score and taken a captaincy score that was less. So in round four, I turned down Ridley's 124 and got a 92 from Grundy. And then in round eight, wow. round eight, I turned down 128 from Grundy and got a 112 from Gorn. They're the, they're the only two you turned times. turned out a 128, you crazy person. It's just one of those situations where... You kind of yeah, get. Yeah, we all thought Gorm was going to go mammoth. Yeah, exactly. And you just get sucked in. Um, and, and probably the realization that from those two um, clangers, let's say, in terms of our captaincy points, I only lost 48 points for the year. You know what I mean? So um, hmm. if, if, if you've got McRae going 130 and someone gets a 160 from Jack Steele, you're not really missing that much. No, you're not. You know, and so we can get sucked into chasing an extra 25 points or extra 30 points. And then you end up with Grundy, Gorn, Walsh doing a sub 80 or a sub ton. And you're just like, I had 120 just sitting there. And I always go on these podcasts and say, you know, in DMs and people contact me, I say 120 plus, just take it, take the safe option. And there was two times in the first eight rounds, I got bitten by it. And then I didn't make another clanger for the remainder of the year. There was even one instance where, um, I think I took a 119 from Jared Lyons. And in my mind, I was like, I'm learning from my previous mistakes. And what's one point in terms of um, that arbitrary line that I draw for myself? Some people draw 125. Some people use the average of the player that they're uh, considering captaining. And I think I like... In terms of captaincy going forward, I think what I'm going to try and do, um, and particularly talking to a lot of the guys that finish top 100 and, and stuff like that, it's like I'm probably going to aim for someone that I think is a really safe 120. If I get a 120, I'm just going to lock it in. If someone goes 160 on my side, great. I've got those 160 points. I just didn't happen to captain them. Um, and you know, if I'm looking at someone, looking at the options to be a C, if I didn't get that 120, I'm looking at their average and who they're playing and really kind of trying to assess um, whether it's a smart move to try and, you know, take that score. So uh, if I've got a 115 or, say, a 119 from uh, Lions, which is uh, what I had in round 15, I was looking around the rest of my side going, I don't really have anyone I'm super confident is going to go 150, 160. There might be a couple 130s there. What's the point? Let's just lock in 119. I think I think that's kind of the the option that I'm going to go with further. Is that sort of have I explained that well enough for you? Yeah. No, no, no I agree. And I think there's a stigma around captaincy where um, people are giving up the the opportunity at a huge captaincy score by taking and quote unquote settling for a VC score 
But for all those guys who get the big 150 or the 160, a lot of the competition gambles on the wrong person. It doesn't get a 150 or a 160, but they get an 80 or a 90. Mm. It, it's just the, the stigma on a 115 to 120 plus and the the sort of holy grail of getting a 130, 140 plus is so wrong, I think, in, in a lot of coaches' minds. And I got sucked into it a couple of times as well. I think I don't think I turned down a single 120 plus for the entire season. Yeah. But there was a time. There was the time where I took a one fifteen. There was another time where I turned down. Um, I think it was one eighteen from Gorn, and rolled the dice on. No, it was one eighteen from someone and rolled the dice on Gorn, who scored one hundred and one. And I and I still said, you know, that was the high, the high percentage play for me. I, I thought there was a you know eighty percent chance he went higher, but I kind of got lucky. He he could have he could have gone so much lower and. I, I that's it's just points in the bank rolling like you've got something in your hand someone's already given you something and you're deciding to play the lottery with it and throw it back in and say no I want something more and that's something more there's a million reasons why it could be less like it's I think it's just so risky to play that game and 120 I know pistol talks about this a lot in some years it should be a higher cap than 120 I don't think I'll ever turn down a 120 plus ever, no matter what captaincies are coming through later on in that round. Does it, is that is that am I being crazy, Pistol? Yeah, a I, bit, I just don't. But it's you're you're making a fair point. It's just more like last season. I know it was probably an outlier, but when you had you had Gorn averaging 139 mm. as an average. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not going to take a 120 that that year. And you know I was able to average 140 with my captaincy scores because between him and Neil playing every game Neil averaging 134 himself like it was it was pretty easy to get up 130 yeah plus you just played those two which is which is great and you're you're playing two guys who went 130 plus on average so yeah. <laughs> you are actually going to get you are going to get a 140 plus like throughout the season the, the reason the, the way you stuff that 140 plus up is if you get an 80 or a, or a 70 in there and and that sort of derails your your 140 plus average for the season I think that's more likely if you keep on risking 120s than it is obviously if you just accept the odd 120 and then let the 150s carry you up to a 140 rather than just trying to hit 140 plus every single week. Let the variance take you there um, as opposed to continually trying to hit that high number, even in a good season. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I like think it's, it should be as simple as VC and C, your two best players in your side like every week. That might even be the lesson because we were doing that with Gorn and Neil and this year if you did McRae and Steele, you probably absolutely nailed it and they were the two highest scoring players and I just never did that. Yeah. Mm. I think there's always a lot to be learned about captain season, um, a lot to be discussed next season. I think I'm going to move on um, to the, the final little segment here. Playful little thing that we do and look on to 2022 and just... Briefly, I mean, we're getting more and more information as the years go on, aren't we? So um, Bryce Mitchell, excellent, excellent Twitter person is Bryce um, in our Patreon as well, has been feeding a lot of potential prices of players um, through as they as their seasons finish up. So we've got a lot of information on what price players might be looking at. I don't know about you guys, but I've already got like the basis, the skeleton of a team set up inside <laughs> my own head of, of what I'm going for. So... We sometimes we get too much information and I can't get my mind out of this game. But um, at the same time, Bryce is an amazing account, so make sure you go give him a follow. But 
Um, I think 2022 has a lot of excitement to it. And every single season we do a segment called Slap Me If I Don't Start. And just to run through how we've gone thus far, in 2019, Pistol, you said Slap Me If I Don't Start Clayton Oliver. And in 2020, you didn't start him. <laughs> and I didn't start and him in 2021? Uh, I don't want to hear more. deserved mind. two slaps because you then didn't learn and oh, didn't start God. him again. <laughs> um, and I think he was very successful each of those seasons. Now, 2020, you said slap me if I don't start Matt Rowe. At, you did at- put a, a, slight, <laughs> a slight disclaimer on it saying if he's priced at 445. Yes. And he was priced at 490. It's 45K difference, mate. I'm still going to slap you for that oh, one. Come on. Um, Chizo, I, I did force you to be creative in, and I, m- I maybe pressured you into McCluggage in 2019, <laughs> uh, who you didn't start. 2020, your your shout was Andy Brayshaw, which I think for a lot no, of the season... No, it wasn't. Was it? It, yep. it was Andy it Brayshaw, It was Andy Brayshaw. <laughs> well, uh, did you force me into that one as well? Did I have to pick like a... No, 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 no. That that I actually no. told you to go safe on that one. In, in and what, were, what were... did I say when you said Andy Brayshaw? I believe I I believe I heard you say at least choose someone like Darcy Parrish who you love, <laughs> exactly. Um, which would have been a better starting pick if uh, if you ask me. But anyway, you didn't start him. It was okay. He didn't have the best season anyway. Chizo. Um, now my 2019 was slap me if I don't start Dan Houston. I'm a man of my word. I did start you him, did. and then I, well I, done. I I followed up on that and started him this year as well. <laughs> which uh, maybe not maybe not great. Um, I won't start him next year. Um, I'm finally breaking that curse. And then I, I backed up with saying, slap me if I don't start Zach Williams this year. And I mean, he was injured for round one. I mean, suspended yeah. for round one. So I couldn't start him, guys. You would so have, though, if he wasn't. That's the thing. He was so bad. I would have started him and he would have been fine. I think the suspension weighed on his mind the entire <laughs> season. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure it works that way. I mean, look, we, we'll never know, will we? Um, all I know is I had an out. You guys didn't. <laughs> And you, you're both over two. I'm two for two. I'm saying so. <laughs> let's um, let's have a look at it for this season coming. And although I said to you pre-podcast that we're doing this segment and to think about it, I personally haven't thought about it. So I'm glad I go third. Pistol, I'm starting with you. Alrighty, I, I'm, I'm wondering how unique I should go. I think um, this one might be good. They enough. can't. They they can't be uber obvious. I'll be the judge, uh, right. of course. You can be the judge. I think it's yeah. a pretty. A pretty good one. I slap me if I don't start Took Miller. Oh, okay. I'll give you that. I love that. that. All right. I'm happy. I'm happy with that one. I'm feeling really confident. Do you want to explain why? No, no. I, I, I just look. He <laughs> in his in his run home. I think it was after around seven. He didn't go below thirty touches. Yeah. I think I've touched on how I want to start players that are going to be really consistent and not fall in price. I think took and Miller play every game. Was which took yeah, Miller didn't play every game. I mean he got suspended, suspension. but that's fine. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Yeah, since since round six, he didn't sub ton. Like his lowest score was hundred and three, but he only had two scores that were below hundred and fifteen. So he should, hopefully, if he has a similar season, you know, not waver much in price. So it's really similar to a Jack McRae type. I don't see him falling away with like improvements from Raul or anything. I think that might make him even better. Um, he is a workhorse. He runs, he tackles. He reminds me so much of Jack Steele. Like he... Yeah. It's like watching the same thing, except I think... How, how old is he, Pistol? Because I think he's got a stigma of being a 48-year-old. I'd, 
actually don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's like 24. He's, 25, he's 24, I yeah, think. 25. Yeah, he's, he's unbelievably young. He's, he's young. He had yeah. a breakout, like a proper breakout season. This reminded me exactly like Jack Steele before. Um, I'm very high on him next season. And just watching him play as well, he, he will seem like he's the type of guy. I mean, I remember from previous seasons, not just last season, he's the guy that never. He never gives up. He doesn't drop his head. He's not going to like fade away just because the team is losing. He's not like one of those players that gets really demoralized. So even if Gold Coast gets smashed, he will be in every context tackling, getting handballs, and just trying until the very end. Um, so couple all those things, it's basically the perfect player that I want to start with in 2022. Chizo. Am I allowed to say Darcy Parrish? <laughs> you can. Well, I. I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah, you can't I see. Say Darcy Parrish. See, I thought. I thought this would be the thing. I thought, it's too obvious. I, I thought I'd like. Yeah. Okay. Look. I, I agree. Um, wait, wait, wait. Chizo, if I give you Darcy Parish, can I have Zach Butters? Yes. No. Deal. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> what do you mean? Be Zach Butters? Price. No, I'm going to veto that. <laughs> veto. You, you both got to pick right. two right. different players. No, Darcy Parish. Then. Sorry, sorry, Chizo. I tried for you, mate. Okay, I'm going to do it. Gotta do it. <laughs> Why does it sound like you went to the bathroom mid podcast? Because this this needs some building up. Uh oh. I'm scared. The emergence of one player is gonna change the landscape of what we call the ruck line. I've fallen in love with him. Oh no. Having him in my side, being accidentally forced to pick him. That's Jacob Edwards. And I think he's gonna be <laughs> English. The uh, prophecy has spoken that he's going to be the number one ruck in 2022. It's the fridge. I mean, slap me if I don't start obvious. short, Darcy. <laughs> the average 120, and you want that to be the uh, your, your unique pick. Yep. Well, I, I guarantee right. you we, I mean, we turn around wait, this time I, next I, year, wait. and oh, we've still got to go Grundy and Gorn. Oh, he's too injury prone. <laughs> I reckon, I reckon it's a much more different story next year. Wait, guys, can I just pause? Pistol's argument is he averaged 120. No, he was the number so one. Miller averaged rush. 125, mate. <laughs> He's, He's not an Uber the number premium. one mid. Das, what? The, the, dude, das, das is Darcy also not the number, number one ruck. Oh, because last week, because Gorn went 160. Oh, that it's. Ugh, I, I think you'll find that Grundy was both fourth. gotten out of one. I really wanted you to say like Aaron Hall or something. So oh, I'm hell a no, I'm not crazy. Fair enough. I mean, you probably will pick him if he plays in the back. Anyway, go JB. Yeah, no, I, I kind of I want to take Butters for the the ridiculous. At least my guy played less than hey paid, no. uh, your your boy Grundy was fourth on both points and average. Nick Nat Nick Nat's jumped him. That, That's depressing. What, Literally jumped in. The Grundy Gorn combo is done. It's all about the fridge. All right, what about Jordan Degoe? Can I make that my guy? I think. Or is he too obvious? I, does he lose DPP? No, he, no, he surely won't. Okay. He, he, play, pretty he played selection. a third of the season as a pure mid. It's It's got to be really close. No, third? That means he played 60 plus. All right, percent give me one of that? Butters or Degoe. Right, can I say both? Can I double down on those two? Is that good enough? For sure. Both of them. I, th- I, I, I mean, honestly think... How about you pick a defender, JB? <laughs> no, I've picked a defender every year. That's why I'm, that's why I'm saying it. It's, yeah, no, I need, a, I need a pivot to the other side of the, the game. <laughs> <All right. laughs> He'll pick a forward that it's goes not, to play defence. Well for me. 
Mate, Zach Williams and Dan Houston, I'm 0 for 2 on picking good breakout contenders from defense. Me too. I mean, I can pick Hall if you want. No, because I want him to be successful and you don't pick successful players. <laughs> exactly. So just, just leave me with Butters and Dagoe, who right. you like neither of. Yeah. No, it's... And, and we'll move on. All right. Um, okay. You, you, I owe you both a slap in the face for starters. Can we, can we just go around and, and slap each other? I don't, I don't get a slap, though. The circle of slap. Go. Ouch. <laughs> oh, shit. Jeez. Was, you put a bit of fist into that. That was less of a slap. <laughs> more, of a, more of an open palm, but okay. Um, <laughs> glad we shared that together, guys. Um, all right. Well, that's me for the podcast. Do you guys want to discuss anything privately while I jump off? Or Yeah, no. I, I, I'm more... I think uh, Chizo said he's got a bit of a team... Oh, no, it was you, actually. So, you got a little bit of a team planned out. Do you have any super early thoughts on, like, players specifically? Yeah, I like a lot of them. (laughs) It's my my early take. Um, Do you want to give us a short list? Butters, Dugowie, Aaron Hall, obviously, as as we've already mentioned. I think Jake Lloyd for his price is going to be good. Wow, you might get him for the first time. Yeah. Dunkley. Um, if he keeps his DPP, which he played a lot in the second half of the season, he's always interesting. Um, I'm going to end up with too many players. Royal Marshall, I think he's, uh, he's going to be unbelievable yeah. value. And there are 100 midfielders. So, McRae, Steele, Walsh. Took. Um, Took Miller. And Oliver. there's one guy that I'm forgetting. Yeah, Oliver. Oliver, Parish. yeah. And then, you know, we've got James Sisley. No, Neil. Neil. <laughs> James Sisley. Lockie Neal yeah. is the biggest Lions. of 2022. No, I'm not Lions. But that's what... Uh... I, don't, I don't know. It was one of the things that I learned is that I should have considered Lions, but I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> one of the things I learned so the... was that I'm not going to do the thing that I learned. <laughs> Bond. Uh... Did you say Bond? Maybe, maybe... Did you say Titch? No, I didn't say Bond. No, there are a lot of good guys next year. A lot of good guys. I think I'm think excited. Add, to build onto your list, I think some of the... The only other primo, really, um, I think Jaden shot down back without Hooley. He's still nah, bad, as bad as pick. as poor as people like to think he was. He still went just he a touch bad. under a hundred, and mm. without yeah. Hooley, still averaged one hundred and five. So I think he's got some upside still there. So I don't mind that Houston? one. But on the really cheap side, <laughs> not Houston. On the really cheap side, I think there's some value to be had with uh, Cam Rayner, uh, Miller. Uh, potentially Gresham if he gets forward status and, and Schoenberg I've definitely got my eye on as well Jeez, so, I, I thought I looked into it <laughs> I thought I looked into this uh, Pistols better team I've, I've actually made a team like I'm not even kidding I've, I've got I've got the notes open on my phone um, and planned out kind of which premiums I'm going to start and how many of <laughs> have them have you done your buy planning yet <laughs> no not, I'm waiting for the, the drafts you know I'll have that the day after maybe the fixturing as well probably help yeah maybe <laughs> you know that Collingwood and Melbourne are going to have their buy in the same round, so you can kind of work around it. Chizo looks disgusting. <laughs> are we watching any footy this weekend? I swear this isn't another segue. Who do we think wins this weekend, please, before I let you both go? Do you uh, know who's playing? I don't. I mean... Really? I'm literally I think, checking. I think Brisbane Geelong will win. GWS and Brisbane versus Bulldogs. Um, I think I'll do Brisbane and Geelong because yeah. of Toby Green. Yeah, same. All right, that's, that's, that's going to age well when we listen to this next year to find the slap us in the face calls. All right, thanks, thanks guys, for joining me. Um, does anyone want to do the wrap-up or do you want me to do it? No, you go for Shoot. it. Aw, it's like a 
way, right of way, right of passage. All right, thanks for joining us. Um, you can find all our Twitters at Cheezo with a Z underscore DRSE hashtag eight. I think right. put in there now. <laughs> um, pistol at Pistol underscore DRSE. Myself, JB at JB at underscore DRSE. I can't even say my own handle. Um, the main one is Dr. underscore SC. Um, I remember I got that wrong that one time, Cheezo, and you put this edit in. That, get with that. that was like bah, bah, and I've been, <laughs> been embarrassed I've made sure I've never got it wrong since so I just want you to know that was one thing that I learned from like 2018 it still haunts me um, so thanks everyone for listening make sure you jump into our Patreon sign up for one month you'll have to pay the first month and then the other couple the other two I think are free Three. is that the way it works Chizu? yeah that's right well, Top top uh, 45% months. of Patreon um, were top 1% in 2021 just thought I'd throw that out there and no, no, pistol. So you have to pay for the first month, and then the next two months are free. Yeah. If you're a new, well, if you're a new sign up, you get you get October. Yeah, yeah. If you're a new sign up, I mean, if you join no, tomorrow, you get signups. October, November, December, right? Mm. So three. That's it. Maybe. Well, I mean, actually, you, you no, still have to pay, pay for, for this September. month. Though. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, join the Patreon. It's free. We're doing a lot of stuff um, in there in regards to NBA. Four dollars fifty. I should say the price. Yeah, four dollars fifty for the next few months. And, and you get the start of Supercoach in December um, with a lot of tinkering and early days knowledge. So make sure you jump in there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for the great season. Thank you to you two for the great season. The best season that we've had as a page and a collective, us three of us. So um, absolutely unbelievable work by everyone involved, the patrons and you guys. So... Appreciate everyone. Thanks very much for tuning in. We might have something um, before the end of the year. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys regarding 2022. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.